Lord Jesus, we thank you for coming into this world and revealing to us uh, the one true God. And doing so in such a way that it puts to shame all the wisdom and power and wealth of this world. Things which have some measure of good, but ultimately are fleeting and not lasting. And which in many cases deceive uh, men according to their own fallenness into making gods out of them, gods out of gifts. May it never be. Lord, thank you for revealing yourself and the true, uh, the true God that we might worship in spirit and in truth. Thank you for revealing to us not only a true self, your, your true self, but also for revealing to us a way of salvation, a path of righteousness, of holiness, and of hope. Hope in guilt being um, erased, uh, in shame being moved away, new life and confidence and joy uh, begun. We ask that you would continue to do this work in us today as we come to the reading and preaching of your word. Bless us now. May your word not return to you void. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please remain standing and turn your attention to Titus. This is in the New Testament, one of Paul's letters. Titus is uh, sometimes called one of the pastoral epistles. Um, there are three of them, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. They're called the pastoral epistles or shepherding epistles um, because they are written to these, um, these two men, Timothy and Titus, with instructions on how to shepherd well, how to pastor well. And um, that, of course, is good instruction for um, people like myself who are pastors and shepherds. Um, but also to all of us, because they're not just written to pastors, but to uh, the whole church, that we might understand the office of the minister, but understand even more um, Christ and his offices as prophet, priest, and king, um, the way he works in us, admit, minis- uh, works his ministry in us, brings us salvation. Um, we learn many things, not just in, for this particular job or that particular job, but as the body of Christ, who he is and what his intentions are for us as the people of God. Um, today, we have some very specific instructions um, to older men. Um, let's hear God's word in Titus now. This is Titus chapter 2, um, verse 2. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Amen. You may be seated. So it's a short verse, right? Um, you who have been here a while, or perhaps were even in last evening's evening service, uh, you know that I'm inclined to read large portions of Scripture, um, and I think that's a very good thing to do for a lot of reasons, which I won't rehearse now. Um, but it's also important from time to time to dwell on individual passages and, and short portions of Scripture. And that's what I intend to do over the next few weeks as we look at these different groups of people different groups of people within the church. 
First, as I mentioned just a moment ago, Titus uh, is given instructions by Paul on how to do his work of various things that he's supposed to do. And one of them is in his ministry, he's supposed to speak to people in their individual contexts. Now, what is an older man? I suppose that there is some flexibility, right, in um, how you define that. Um, The scriptures talk in Psalm 90 about a lifespan being about 70, 80 years. That, of course, varies in time and place. Um, And so it's not worth being too rigid about these things. It's also not worth being too rigid because some of the qualities and characteristics we see here that Titus is supposed to speak to older men about are also found in younger men and younger women and older women. Um, These are not exclusive to them as if they only applied uh, to this one group. And nevertheless, there are perhaps good reasons um, why Paul says what he says here and, and doesn't say other things. We don't want to think Uh, or be too dogmatic about what those might be. They would ultimately be guesses, um, maybe informed guesses, but guesses nevertheless. Our main job is to hear what he does say and think about it carefully in our own contexts. Um, To those of you who uh, might consider yourselves to be older men or approaching uh, being an older man, this, of course, is for you, Um, It's also for me, um, not just as a man, but also as one who is called to command these things, to teach them and lead you in the way of Christ. Um, But that doesn't mean that if you're in any other category that it's time to just check out, right? Because these are important for us all to hear um, for a lot of different reasons. And I want you to be thoughtful and and, um, considering uh, what those are and how you might apply these things uh, yourself. When you think about older men as a group, I wonder what kinds of qualities come to your mind. Um, Maybe that's somewhat dependent on the older men that you know, um, especially the ones that you grew up around and have spent a lot of time with. Um, When I look out um, very briefly in in a cursory way across our cultural landscape, I tend to see, uh, this is just my own judgment, but certain tropes, um, certain images about older men that pop up um, frequently. Uh, Three come to mind. Um, One is the wise old man, right? The guru figure in a movie, perhaps, where he instills some careful advice um, at the right moment for the hero who is then able to uh, finish his quest, right? The wise old man is one of the the stereotypes, right, that we have uh, in our culture. A couple others come to mind, the angry old man, uh, the grumpy old man, the get-off-my-lawn old man, right? Uh, The one who is set in his ways and knows that everyone else's are really awful. Um, That that is another picture of, I think, an older man that is lodged in our kind of cultural consciousness. Another one, which is unfortunate, is the dirty old man, Right? An old man who, instead of um, growing in his experience and in his self-control, has given himself over to his lusts. He uses his age as an excuse for um, degrading women and degrading him himself. Perhaps there are other pictures that come to your mind. Um, 
maybe some positive, maybe some negative. Paul paints a picture for us here, and it's a picture that perhaps in some ways is in our minds and hearts and in some ways isn't. And so let's think about it. Let's look at what he says. Let's look through these qualities and consider what it is Christian men, older men, are supposed to be like. The first thing Paul says in Titus 2 is that older men are to be sober-minded. Sober-minded. It's a reference that um, refers in some ways to drinking in moderation, a metaphor that uses this image to describe a a kind of mindset. Um, What happens when we get drunk is the opposite of this. You are not sober-minded. Um, but your capacity is reduced for being things like level-headed, clear judgment, um, having wisdom, um, steadiness, um, resistance to temptation, these kind of things. And the stories, right, of people falling um, into um, grave sin and committing all kinds of horrors um, when drunkenness is involved are easy uh, to, um, to find in our own lives uh, and throughout the scriptures. Um, and so Paul is not uh, commanding here um, absolute sobriety from alcohol. Um, the scriptures commend it in some ways. It brings joy to the heart. Um, Jesus makes wine at a, a wedding feast as one of his first miracles in the Gospel of John. There's other ways in which Alcohol can be a good thing and a blessing from God in life, but not drunkenness, never drunkenness. Older men are called not to um, give themselves over to um, letting their minds uh, go, um, but to be sober, but to be sober-minded. They are to use and to protect their minds, uh, their hearts. Now, sometimes people see old age Um, as an opportunity to, almost like you've earned a right to sin like crazy, (laughs) right? Perhaps you you have experienced this temptation yourself or you've seen it in the lives of others, this sense of, I've put in my hours, I've done my work, I've been a good citizen, and now I'm just going to do what I want, right? That kind of attitude is not the attitude Paul calls us to. He calls older men to be a sober-minded Older men have not earned the right for drunkenness or other kinds of sinful living. That's a crazy idea as a Christian. Sin is not a a prize. It's a poison. Sin gets into our lives and it destroys us. And it destroys the people that are around us. Why work so hard to live uh, the last years of our lives so poorly and to hurt so many people? Instead, older men often have uh, the luxuries and the blessings of having more to give, more time, more money, more energy, more wisdom. A lot of times, older men have had opportunities in life to accumulate good things, which now they have an opportunity not to, to squander, but to share and continue to be a good stewards of. You can't do that if you're not sober-minded, if, you, if you're not wise, if you're not alert, if you're not discerning. It's an important quality for older men. The second one um, that Paul lists here is that 
of being dignified. Older men are to be sober-minded and then dignified, he says. To be dignified means to be worthy of respect and worthy of honor, particularly because of one's life, one's behavior and conduct. For various reasons, um, all of which I don't understand, um, dignity is not very highly prized as a virtue in our, in our culture, at least not to my mind. I think one reason is that we confuse dignity a lot of the times for being rich, maybe, um, or for being stuck up, um, or for being uh, self-centered. When we think about a dignified person, a lot of times I think the first thing that comes to our mind is somebody putting on airs, right? Sort of creating these external forms of dignity that are really just a show and aren't the real thing. Um, instead of, and, and in doing that, instead of being worthy of honor and respect, it's, it's kind of infuriating. <laughs> it's, it's annoying and, and obnoxious. And so it's important, I think, for us to distinguish between you know, putting on airs or simply putting on the, the uniform of dignity, looking dignified or acting in a moment in a dignified way, and actually being one worthy of being one worthy of that. Dignity is not attached to money. Dignity is not attached to position or power. One way dignity does get, that term does get used maybe a little more frequently in our culture um, is around the time of death, right? Dying with dignity is a phrase, an idea we think about. And when we talk about that, we're talking about treating someone with respect and honor that they deserve even when they're at their weakest moment. I think that's a good thing, and it's a reminder to us that when we, um, uh, when we, th- that dignity is not necessarily tied to one's, all of one's abilities, um, though it might have, have uh, something to do with that. Think about Jesus. Perhaps the best, that's the best, best place to go. Jesus was not rich. Jesus didn't have a big, fancy, well-appointed house. Jesus didn't dress with super fine clothes and demand the respect of other people. He earned the respect of other people. He got the respect of many people. Not all, but many. Well, why? Well, it wasn't because he was wealthy or was born into a wonderful, fancy family that earned him his respect. His dignity came the earned dignity, I would say, that, that, that kind of dignity came from the way he treated other people, for one. And two, it was the confidence which, which he, with which he had about who he was and why he was doing it. Jesus carried himself in such a way and taught with such an authority because he had it. He had integrity What was true of his actions and his outward things is what was true internally. And it's why when people maligned him, uh, persecuted him, and also sent him, and ultimately sent him to the cross, murdering him, he didn't waver. He was, uh, he was, shame was put upon him, right? He was stripped of his clothes, a crown of thorn was put on his head, he was beaten, he was mocked, all kinds of Horrible things in which his dignity just as a human being was taken away from him. But he never lost his dignity in the sense of that which was owed to him for his actions. 
He never lost his integrity. He never lost his compassion, his character. That he always and has always maintained. This teaches us that dignity is not tied to wealth or position or power. Um, It's tied to who we are and how we act. Now, it's possible, of course, that we, we all have a certain dignity simply by being made in the image of God. All of us are owed a certain amount of respect, and we owe respect to one another just because of that, which means that even when a person is acting in not very human ways, when a person is acting very poorly and in undignified ways, they are still deserving to be treated as one who is made in the image of God. I don't think that's exactly what Paul has. That's not the kind of dignity that he has in mind here. He's talking about the kind of dignity that comes from integrity and character. Um, One who is worthy of respect because of their behavior. This is very important, especially for those um, older men who find themselves in time and with experience to be put into positions Um, where there's responsibility and authority. This last year, uh, as an example of this, um, there was a a local judge who lost his entire career, everything. He can never be a judge again in the state of Arizona because he failed to act with propriety in private life, not in the judicial setting. Judges in Arizona are required to, quote, act at all times, in a manner that promotes public confidence in the independence, integrity, and impartiality of the the judiciary and shall avoid impropriety or the appearance of impropriety. That's what uh, the Arizona Code of Judicial Conduct and our Constitution requires of our judges in the courtroom and out of the courtroom. That's a high standard. I won't go through the whole story, but I I feel for the man. Um, He was being stalked. uh, uh, Someone he had dealt with in the courtroom was pushing him, dumping trash, slashing tires, doing all kinds of evil things. But the judge lost self-control, which we'll come to in a moment. And he acted in ways in which went under, uh, in which undid this high calling which he was called to. It's a high thing. (laughs) It's a hard thing to act with dignity and and propriety in all times and in all places. But nevertheless, this is what older men are called to do, especially those who hold offices and responsibilities and are uh, responsible for caring for other people. We all have ways in which we have fallen and all have ways, and when we think about being sober-minded or or uh, living lives with dignity, in which we are falling short and I'm afraid that as we continue this list, we will find more ways in which we ought to confess and humble ourselves before the Lord. But let's go on. The importance of these things and, uh, is, is continued in the next word, self-controlled, um, which I've touched on in being sober-minded and, and being dignified. I just want to say at this point, um, so as not to just repeat myself, um, but to draw attention, as I have before and will continue to do, To the repetition. I want to draw your attention to the repetition. Um, Self-controlled is a part of being dignified. Self-control is a part of being sober-minded. And it is an attribute that we continue to see. 
over and over again throughout Titus, and we'll see in this list as well. It is so hard. Why? That it is. It's so hard to control ourselves. Sometimes uh, younger men, right, you, you look at these older guys around you and you go, what is it about them that makes them different from me? And a lot of times it's this stuff. They're self-controlled in their body, in their actions, in their schedule, with their money. It's it's the kind of it factor that you can't figure out what they're doing. I'm telling you, that's what they're doing. They're exhibiting these factors. And when they are, it's remarkable. And it builds trust and it builds, it builds, um, it builds respect. And, it, and, it, and God uses those things um, in our lives as a real blessing. Self-control, it's so, so important. Paul finishes this list with three things, being sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Oh, these are so important. To be sound in faith reminds us that the way the, these moral attributes and qualities are, not, um, are connected, as I mentioned before, with an inner reality. They're not just actions that are done for the sake of impressing someone or only in public, but they happen in public and in private because a man is sound in faith. Sound means something like it's, it's true. Um, it's, it's up to the task. Um, you can trust it. Um, uh, there was a, a man I met once um, who made bolo ties and the first thing he did before he made a, you know what a bolo tie is, right? You know, okay. Um, before he made a bolo tie, he'd take that rock, find a pretty one, and then he'd look at it, he'd see, this, this is really gorgeous. And then he'd take that gorgeous rock and he'd drop it. Smashed <laughs> a bunch of pieces. And he would go, okay, not going to use that one. <laughs> and he'd just keep dropping them until he found one that was sound. He needed to find one with sound because it wasn't worth putting all his time and energy into making this beautiful thing and only have it crack at the last second, right? And so he would, so he would test their, their soundness uh, first. We are to be uh, sound in the faith, all of us and older men. Um, you are uh, specifically identified here. What does it take to be sound in the faith, to be solid in the faith? You have to know it. You have to know it. You have to know what the faith is. What is it that we are putting our confidence in? What is it we are putting our hope in? To be sound in faith is to know the truth and then to believe it, to hold fast to it and to act uh, in light of it. The faith that has been once and, and for all delivered to the saints, a faith that is centered in Jesus Christ, He's coming into the world, his living for us and dying for us, his ascension into heaven, and his current rule over us, and his coming again. And all the things that are connected to that, all the things that are connected to do that. Now, we can never know everything all at once, and we can never know everything in this life. But continuing, uh, men, continuing to grow in the things of the Lord and the things that he has taught us. That's what leads to these other two things, being sound 
in love and being sound in steadfastness. These, uh, this kind of integrity that I keep emphasizing, it's not just an external thing. It's, it's true inwardly and outwardly. It's not a one-time moment, uh, an accidental good deed. It's a steadiness, day in and day out, of doing the right thing, of showing, of controlling oneself, of showing love to others, of, main, of maintaining a truth and, and uh, to the truth and in the truth, capital T, in the Lord our God. So this is a high calling, isn't it? The Bible teaches us that old age tends to produce some of these things. It's one of the benefits of of getting older. Through experience and through suffering, God oftentimes takes off the rough edges. He matures us. He gives us perspective. He allows us to be uh, less of a complainer, more content, more hopeful, more understanding. It tends to happen. And yet, (laughs) and yet, there's no guarantee of it. Plenty of us know, angry old men, grumpy old men, dirty old men, rotten old men, sad old men, lonely old men. There's no guarantee that the blessings which God pours out on all people, Christians and non-Christians, are going to bring about this kind of life. And certainly, they're not going to bring about old age just on its own, just year after year, the sun, uh, the sun moving as it does, or us moving around the sun. These things don't just automatically get produced in us. Lots of people live their whole lives afraid and hiding, cowering, pretending, scared, So where do these true qualities come from? How can they be truly developed in us in such a way that a man can say, not perfect, but I am these things, trying to be these things, and I can see the Lord growing these things in me. Not as just like nice stuff to say or, or you know, trying to sound good, but really believing that, really seeing it. Well, Good works, a good life, well-lived, internal and external qualities, these things, as I've been saying, and as Paul will continue to show us through this book, they only are produced from one place, and that's through union with Christ. Remember earlier he said that these other people um, who were going around and teaching and were doing such a bad uh, job of it, disturbing households, uh, ruining all kinds of things. He says, just before this, at the end of chapter 1, they are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. Why were they unfit for any good work? Why couldn't you count on these guys to get the job done, to do something good and productive and glorifying to God? It's because ultimately they were grounded in themselves and their own works and their own desires and their own plans. They wanted, uh, they were after, what Paul tells us, they were greedy for gain. They were about themselves. 
the only thing and the only one that can make us not about ourselves is God. And he does it this way, by taking your old self and killing it. He doesn't protect it. He doesn't coddle it. He doesn't give it a few more rules to follow. He kills it. That is the only way in which that old self, that prideful, self-centered, undignified, unself-controlled self, dies. (laughs) It has to be put to death, and it has to be done by the Lord. And then... When he does that for us, he brings new life, but not a new self just independent of, its, of anything else, just sort of living on its own and its own man, you know, wandering out into the wilderness being, you know, his own boss, but one who is alive and living and producing and fit for good works because he is in the living one, because he is in Jesus Christ who has been raised from the dead. Paul says in Romans 6 that when we put our faith in Christ, we are those who have died with him, been buried with him in baptism, and and have also then been resurrected with him in the newness of life. To be a Christian man is not just working hard and being self-controlled and having dignity. That's not really the essence of it or the starting place of it or the engine that produces it. The engine that produces those things is the Lord. He's the one that makes us fit. He's the one that makes us sound. He's the one that brings life out of death. And so if we want to be good men, if we want to be men that honor him, serve him, and do well in our lives and for his glory, we must know Jesus, the true man, and not just live our lives like he lived it, but put our lives to death in him. We must see our good works and the, even the best things that we've done and say, My only hope is in you and in you alone. I only live in you and in you alone. I'm only fit because of you and you alone. And the good news for us is that when the Lord Jesus promises to work in us, he does not fail. He does produce these kinds of things. Little by little. Suffering experience by suffering experience, trial by trial, he purifies us, he grows us, he strengthens us, he produces this fruit, and it's so tasty. It's so good. We see it and we enjoy it in our lives. We get to experience the benefit in other people's lives. In the church, we just we see him at work, that kind of flowering and sanctification um, that is at work. Not perfect. Never perfect in this life, but at work and growing. And one day he promises that those who he predestined for adoption as sons, those whom he justified and is sanctifying will one day also be glorified. And this picture will not be some sort of 
hopeful thing that we're striving towards in faith, but it will be the only reality that you know in your own life and in the lives of the brothers around you. This is the promise of salvation for us in Christ. It's our hope, it's our life, and we ought to put everything in him, bet everything on him, give everything we have to him and to him alone. That's where our guarantee is. Not just in getting old, but getting old in Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, our Father in heaven, um, we come to you as your children asking that you would help us to grow up, to mature as individuals and as a body, as the body of Christ. Lord, build in us these things, produce in us the fruits of the Holy Spirit that when people see uh, the, the, our lives and uh, the dignity of them, the self-control in them, uh, the sober-mindedness, the faith, the love, the steadfastness, when they see these things in our lives, they would say, that's a man who's known by God. And women and children... Lord, we ask that you would work in all of us according to your good pleasure and that you would, you would shine in the glories of your gifts. And that when we see these works produced in our own lives and in the lives of our church body, that we would um, not be impressed at this or that man, but we would be impressed at you and of, in you. You tell us in your word that before we knew you, we were not self-controlled. We were not um, uh, dignified. We gave ourselves over to various passions and pleasures. We did not love others, but we hated others. We were saved when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. And you have saved us not according to works done by us in righteousness, but according to your own mercy by the washing of regeneration, by the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom you appointed and poured out richly on us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Help us to hold fast to these things, to be sound in the faith and growing in the grace and knowledge and hope and love of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name, putting all of our confidence in him and him alone. Amen.